0: we wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart. A better formula for formula. Learn more at Byheart.com.
1: Isn't this interesting? Go on. We're away on holiday. Yes. We're in Sweden.
2: And what is this? We love our listeners so much that we could not bring them on holiday with us.
1: No, no, no. Truly. I don't know anyone less likely to holiday with people than we are.
2: It's the thought of being around other people first thing in the morning. Misery. I I also don't want other people seeing me in swimming trunks.
1: I think you have a sweet body.
2: I'm a classic pear.
1: You're not a classic pear.
2: Am I an apple?
1: No. I don't think of you as defined by fruit in that way. (laughs)
2: We have an email. It comes from Beth Kilkenny. Beth says, My husband and I recently binged This Is England on the Channel 4 player. It's old, around 10 years, I think, but all of the acting is amazing. The writing, the place, it is brutal, but also full of heart. Hands down, some of the best TV I have ever seen. Now, do you want to explain why this is a timely email?
1: Because our guest today is the co-writer of This Is England, Jack Thorne.
2: As well as being one of the most acclaimed playwrights of his generation, he has written some phenomenal television. So he writes His Dark Materials, which I think is onto its fourth series. But then all these, I don't know, two, three, four-part dramas that he's done, stuff like Kiri, National Treasure, Help!, Best interests. he is a brilliant man.
1: We've really sucked his dick, haven't we? But we mean it.
2: We do mean it.
1: But can I just say really fast, he's such a sweet, innocent soul, I do feel weird talking about his D.
2: Is there another part of his body you'd feel more comfortable to talk about sucking on? What about suckling at his nipple? No. Licking his knee?
1: Nope. Hold on, I'm I'm really trying to think about it. What if we nose-nuzzle him? Nose-nuzzling is a thing that is part of our bedtime ritual with our son. (laughs) I don't give a shit, I'll nuzzle that nose.
2: One of the most respected writers in the UK and beyond.
1: The universe.
2: Jack Thorne is our guest later.
1: Okay, so my quick watch this week, I decided to watch The Jinx, which was a six-part docuseries on Amazon Prime. It came out a while ago, I think initially on HBO. And I can remember it was one of these things that everyone was talking about at the time. And we didn't watch it. And then when we were interviewing Sarah Phelps the other week. She mentioned that there's this moment when the criminal in it, Robert Durst, Gets confronted and he starts belching uncontrollably.
2: So, so, the idea being that when he's caught in a lie and he's got nowhere to go. His, his body reacts by belching. Yes. If, if, that is a, <laughs> if that is a universal thing about human beings, you must be a serial liar or a fantasist. You're belching, the, the amount of time you spend belching.
1: Well, his is different. Mine is often egg related. <laughs> Not that I've like killed someone and I'm finally getting confronted, like not finally getting confronted, but but finally feel like that someone has made a pincer move anyway.
2: what What is the most eggs you think you've got through in a week?
1: So my big egg phase, oh god, easily six and maybe like eight
2: for how many years?
1: Let's say oh five till maybe oh eight.
2: So three years, sure. So you're telling me that between 2005 2008, you you ate six and a half thousand eggs.
1: <laughs> yeah, the only time I've ever like thrown up from food poisoning was because I was so obsessed with my eggs. I went out on a trip to Hawaii with my friend Andrew, but I was like, I'm taking my eggs. <laughs>
2: Did you, pack, did you pack eggs? Yes, I packed eggs. Did you think they don't have them in Hawaii?
1: No, I would double bag plastic Ziploc bags uh-huh. with like scrambled egg whites. And my friend Amanda, once she saw it and she was like, oh, I don't think of those as the traveling egg. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so do you think it's possible that Robert Durst ate a lot of eggs?
1: Yeah. He's actually, genuinely, he seems like the type of person who would eat a lot of eggs.
2: How how would you characterize that type of person? Joyless.
1: (laughs) I think maybe that would have been a thing that I shared with a certain kind of psychopath. An egg obsession.
2: So were the six hours spent waiting for the belch worth it?
1: (laughs) Yes. So I thought the show was like, good. But I didn't like the director. The director is sort of part of the film.
2: Yes, it's really good. It feels like, did you ask yourself the question, could this story be told without me in it? <laughs> is there any way of telling this story without putting myself right. the director into you it? You a
1: moment where they went, I'm part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and he just seemed the type. And then also I was like, part of my issue is he's quite handsome. It's not like jaw dropping, but I really find it annoying when people look like actors and then aren't. It's like, shut up fucking being a director or a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you look like an actor. Go fuck yourself a little bit. But what it wasn't was, oh my God, everyone, this is your next big thing. But neither was it a slog. And if you, like me, are like, wait, I want to watch a man do weird belches when confronted it was a hundred percent worth it to the extent like i've now watched him do the belches i think three times it's my new one, just like that <laughs> <laughs> like it's so it is so interesting to watch
2: i watched the first episode of the new series of how to with john wilson on hbo
1: a few people wrote into us saying to watch this
2: and i I remember watching this. We were in the States uh, a year or two ago. And I thought it was fantastic. But there was some actual real life vomiting footage in it, which meant that you will never, ever let this show anywhere near your eyeballs. Now,
1: I want to say this. I feel disgusted everyone who told me to watch it and i feel even like the inbox which is normally a safe place for me is disgusting just by having recommendations of a show where someone actually pukes
2: so this john wilson is a bit of a hipster oddball wandering around the city with a little camera and filming stuff the stuff that is all around us but the things that we don't always notice oh yeah whatever so so Often, like beautiful bits of footage, blah blah blah, that he's then knitting together like a, a visual collage, but tying it together with narration. So the first episode of the new series is called "How to Find a Public Restroom."
1: Oh my god! I should have made that film.
2: <laughs> and it's an essay on needing the toilet in a city. Really,
1: my superpower is getting to use the toilet in any establishment I go into ever.
2: If this is your superpower, yeah. how come I have seen you urinate Jeff? in the street on any number of occasions?
1: Okay, so first of all, you haven't seen me urinate in the street on any number of occasions.
2: What about when you piss behind the bins outside a block of flats once?
1: that was very extreme
2: and what about that time you pissed in somebody's front garden
1: that someone's front garden was like in the countryside but i think i've gotten better with that because when my mom did that really crazy one which i don't even think she'll let us talk about on the podcast but just to say she did one of her most deranged outdoor pisses i've ever seen her do and i was like okay i see it now i get it if i don't correct course immediately I don't even know what I would be capable of.
2: <laughs> she, was like, she was like the ghost of Pisma's future.
1: I think we're like so much better than those kinds of puns. I can't believe you said that. Sorry. That was so disgusting.
2: Sorry. Anyway, to bring it back to this show, it's so good and it's so funny. And here's another thing I love about it. There are plenty of times you see comedians doing these documentaries where them and a comedian friend are going to go on a road trip around Portugal and see what happens.
1: Remember my job and don't insult any comedians ever. Keep going.
2: Or a comedian and his uncle go into railing and we'll see what happens. But you always have a sense that what you're seeing has been planned in advance. Right. Right. The, the people they're meeting along the way, they're not really meeting them. A researcher has prearranged it.
1: I wonder how many people listening to you talk right now are like, wait,
2: really? No comedian and his maiden aunt is making a travel log <laughs> where they um, just turn up in the Czech Republic. This stuff is all planned in advance. Whereas this show, I'm sure there is some of that to it, but it really feels like he finds the story and the theme of the essay through the footage
1: all right well maybe i'll watch some of it if you've pre-watched an episode and you can confirm it's v-free
2: i'm excited to see the rest of the series this first episode is definitely v-free we want to hear from you
1: this is not fun if we just talk to each other all the time you can get in touch with us at fuck off at normcore.com.
2: What about things you never see on television, like belching?
1: No one's ever burping.
2: So I know it's a cliche to say, oh, you never see people go to the toilet. But occasionally, farting will be in for either a joke or some kind of device. But when, when do you ever see somebody people belch? People are fucking,
1: people are puking left and right. There's a really good scene in I Hate Susie where Susie Pickles gets diarrhea. So we're normalizing diarrhea, which I'm here for. Vomiting is overused. Where the fuck are the belches?
2: Sarah and I were once walking down a quiet street. Sarah burped and it was so loud and disturbing that we heard a woman scream.
1: It was late at night and I thought we were alone. And I did this thing. that was like, it sounded like a creature from the night.
2: Yeah, or or how you imagine a velociraptor would sound.
1: Yes. And she straight up screamed.
2: What is coming for me? The gates of hell have opened yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm about to be taken.
1: And I went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And that was me. It was, I mean, it was humiliating. It was 100% worth it ever. But let's normalize, it was.
2: let's normalize that. What, what other things are there that you just don't see? on screen oh i thought of another thing we could ask people for go on the longest time it has ever taken you to click with a show so as we're drifting off at night at the moment our sitcom of choice is seinfeld which is my all-time favorite and the other day you said i think finally something is happening for me with the show
1: the genius of the show is coming into my body
2: more than 30 years after it started airing
1: in my own time and in my own way He's lucky to have me.
2: (laughs) So anything on that subject you might have, Uh, the longest it has taken you to click with a show and your recommendations and thoughts on what we've been talking about and what we will be talking about, please. The email address is...
1: off at firecratchandnormcore.com.
2: I asked Sarah earlier how we should describe Jack Thorne to you. And you said...
1: He has the kindest, sweetest, most innocent nature, I think, of anyone I've ever met.
2: And it's so interesting then if you look at his work and think about some of the dark situations that he puts characters into or the themes that he explores. I also think he's a real writer's writer. His name comes up when other writers discuss masters of the craft
1: yes and I will say to all the parents out there he makes you feel like your child can watch a lot of TV without it ruining their brains forever
2: because that's what he did when he was a kid
1: I know I mean I still feel like TV in the 80s is different from TV now but anyways I'm not trying
2: to be too difficult Sarah's got some theories about the speed of the animation doing something to neural pathways I'm no expert You want to thank our founding Patreon supporters?
1: Look, you cannot know what it means to us. The thing that used to mean the most would be you emailing us. Like yeah, I could check our inbox and I'd get a little like adrenaline hit if I saw that we had a bunch of new emails. I, the truth is I don't give a fuck about your emails anymore. You know, I just want to look in that inbox and see, oh, new Patreon. Oh, new Patreon. Oh, mm, three pounds. Oh, five pounds. Oh, ten pounds. Oh, it's all I want. So if I see like five, if I see the number five, I'm like, please, let it be five pages. I'm not going to give a shit about the email. We can can find a workaround. No emails. We can find a workaround. More money, more money, more money supporters. We need you. Oh, are you walking right now? What are you doing? I don't care what the fuck you're doing. You're going to click on the Patreon link in the notes of this podcast episode. You're going to choose your level. You're going to fucking give us that fucking
2: money. Everyone's going to get the list of the shows we talk about on the podcast and where to find them everyone is going to get the extended version of the guest interview. Everyone is going to get monthly sprinkles. And then if you go for the next level or the top level, there are all kinds of extra benefits. We're talking a message on your birthday from Sarah's mom. We're talking WhatsApp from Sarah. We can't start that until we get back off holiday because your WhatsApp phone is at home.
1: I have what we in our family call the businesswoman's phone and I will WhatsApp you from my businesswoman's phone every Friday
2: and there's uh, early access to events there's online only events we really took some time to make sure that if you are thanking us in this way for our time in making the podcast then we are going to repay you with some great stuff on patreon so patreon.com stroke or forward slash they like to watch Well, I took advantage of your summertime holiday vibes and uh, got you to have a look at Hijack.
1: Yes, which I I wasn't that interested in because I thought it sounded boring to me.
2: But this is what I said when I mentioned it quickly a couple of weeks ago. So, oh yeah, Hijack in a Plane, Idris Elba, I know what that's going to be, <laughs> doll. But it isn't.
1: No, I think it's been the most addictive, like truly addictive thing that we've watched since starting this podcast. So, like we're on holiday. So when you're on holiday, you're hopefully having a nice time. Like holiday isn't the time of your life when you're like, make it nighttime. So I can just watch my shows. <laughs> but I think as we were gaining momentum with it, I was like, just get me through to tomorrow night.
2: And addictive things aren't necessarily the most prestigious best television you will ever watch but that thing of getting to the end of one episode and thinking should we just start another at least to see how we go that shouldn't be dismissed
1: so should we repeat exactly the plot to everyone
2: yes the series takes place across a seven hour flight from dubai to london and very early on in the flight the plane is hijacked
1: So it sort of has that real-time vibe. But
2: not quite. In fact... Go on. No, I I, I don't want to be that person. But some of the time discrepancy stuff just took me out of it ever so slightly.
1: I don't... What was the time discrepancy stuff? So without
2: giving away plot, most of what's happening is happening on the plane. But some stuff is happening on the ground. Yes. And and one of those storylines is Max Beasley, who... He was in the band, The Brand New Heavies. They were kind of a funk soul band in the early 90s. I don't think they did much outside of the UK or, or Europe. But he has also had a serious career as an actor for many decades. But whenever I see him on screen, I think, oh, look, isn't he doing well for himself, the fella out of The Brand New Heavies? But anyway, he is a policeman, and he is on the ground in England. And some of the distances he travels...
1: Oh, Yes, you did mention this. Okay.
2: He's in the countryside and then he's in central London 20 minutes later.
1: And this was your focus?
2: No, I don't want to be that person.
1: That's exactly what you're being. Really? Well, because we just absolutely loved this
2: show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great.
1: It was so addictive.
2: And you had a big crush.
1: So there's a guy who does air traffic control
2: I don't think it's a name that most people have recognized. He's called Mohammed Faisal Mustafa. And I don't think he's done that much acting before. But you're like this. I think he is a successful businessman. (gasps) Oh, We know you love a businessman. He
1: does business and acting? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's his name? I think he
2: mainly concentrates on his business with a bit of acting on the side. Shut (laughs) up.
1: Mainly business and acting hobby?
2: Yeah, but I'm I'm about to read it for you. Oh. Also does a bit of yoga instructing. Yeah,
1: bendy, bendy. <laughs> Wait, he's a yoga instructor and a businessman and an actor.
2: Yes, a polymath. Where do
1: they find him? Mm. That's shocking. Ooh, it's grossing me out. I don't like it anymore. Single? What's his story? How old is he? He's young, right? Mm. Let me guess. Thirty-three. How old? I don't know. Well, is it not where you're looking?
2: He's not got a Wikipedia page yet. I don't think. Oh my god! Where do they? You find could get him in there people? early.
1: How do they find out? Hang on, why am
2: I, as your husband, saying, oh, you could get in there early?
1: Oh, I thought you meant build him a Wikipedia page.
2: <laughs> that says everything about your self-esteem. You heard it. The, the only way in which your worlds intersect would be if you built a Wikipedia page for him.
1: Yeah. How else would I meet him? You had a visual treat as well.
2: I did. <laughs> One of the cabin crew.
1: Oh, and the mom.
2: Oh yeah, you had a
1: very predictable reaction, and then a less predictable reaction. We won't say too much about it, but um, oh my god, if you become a Patreon supporter this week, I will tell you who Jeff's likely and unlikely crushes were on Hijack. Which seriously, you're gonna watch it because it was just that fucking good. Everyone's talking about it now.
2: Yeah, it's we're it,
1: followers on this, not leaders.
2: I think an inevitability as you watch this show and you think about how you yourself would react in a hijack situation. Oh
1: my god, I would not showcase bravery. Oh my God, wait, maybe I would. Wait, oh my God. Go on. Okay, so I've always felt like some terrible things in any kind of situation like that would come out of me. Like, I really think I'd betray my fellow man and like do whatever <laughs> the fuck I need to survive. And I don't know, I think I could do some very bad shit. But I just remembered that I was on an overground train once in London and there was something very strange going on with a man and he got too close to a child and everyone stayed out of it, except I instinctively put my body between him and the child. I need a hero.
2: In the line of fire.
1: I put myself in the line of fire. You, you could
2: be one um, of the president's bodyguards.
1: I was so instantly pleased with myself. I was like, <laughs> not even looking at the child. Like, the second that the,
2: the goodness in me did come
1: out, I was like, did anyone fucking see that? Like, I was like, oh my God, let someone walk by that I know. Like... <laughs> I was so selfless in that moment.
2: We are getting on a plane tomorrow. Has watching the hijack made you feel any differently about that?
1: Yes. And I feel that as my brain starts to deteriorate, as I age, as I become a more susceptible person, like in a bad way, there's a door in my brain that leads to fear of flying. And that door has been shut my whole life. It's just shut. Recent flights, like someone's like just knocking, and I'm like, Wait, What's behind that door? <laughs> oh, a profound fear of flying. And I'm letting you know that I don't think I'm more than a decade off from having to sedate myself. <laughs> <on flights. laughs> like, I'm gonna be one of those people who's like, I bring some sedatives and some wine, and I'm just fucking out.
2: Do you think if something terrible happened on a flight, you have that survival instinct to be following the lights to the nearest exit, getting your oxygen mask on, taking your heels off, going down that slide?
1: I um no, I think my survival instinct is not strong.
2: Mine either. I'm
1: ready to go. I,
2: I think I would just sit there and think, well. Here I am, just uh, plummeting to my death now. I don't think I would do anything to try and I save myself. I would try myself. and get
1: our child in the literal hands of someone who looked capable.
2: Something you said to me earlier is that you feel I was too focused on the likability of the hijackers.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> this show is so good that it's one of those ones where, like, if you miss a word or something, you're like, wait, pause, wait, I miss what was just said. It's like, it's, it's that kind of thing. And so, Jeff who I think depending on the mood, either one of us can be the talkative one during a show.
2: You mean like with my pithy observations?
1: Yeah, you just- Little quips? You're quipping. You're like saying all this shit. And I'm like, I'm watching this show. So anyway, Jeff would not shut up about which of the hijackers were most likable. So we'd be watching be like, who's your favorite hijacker? And I was like, (laughs) I just missed what Idris said. So Jeff feels strongly- that you can rate the likability factor of each of the hijackers. Mm. And I would like to hear from anyone, email us, and rate the hijacker likability.
2: Great. Yes, I'd love to compare and contrast your data with my own.
1: Because we didn't fully agree.
2: Mm. We're trying to be as careful as we can not to include any spoilers. But I will say, one of the first acts of the hijackers is to turn all the entertainment system off, (laughs) and to stop the cabin crew from doing any kind of food and drink service, which of those things would you find the most distressing?
1: Actually probably the TV because as per my um, egg drama, I'm not getting on an airplane without food so <laughs> I would have I would have stopped at the pret in London well I guess I'm in Dubai, but I would have gone to whatever they got in Dubai. a pret. So actually, I'd be okay without the food because I bring my own stock. Because you never know what you're going to get.
2: I, I want to say about aeroplane food that even though if it was available on a menu, you would never order it. If there's a restaurant serving aeroplane food, you would never go there. I find the, the compact nature of it and all the little areas on the tray, I find it uh, exciting to to get that. No.
1: I see what you're saying, and I feel the same if I was still a child. It's like <laughs> it's like the way that I think it's fun to look at a dollhouse where you're like, oh, little things. Oh, there are some heavier moments in this show because it's about a plane being hijacked. But I don't think there's anything that you found as disturbing as the couple of occasions where when people who were in business had to go into economy. <laughs> it's your trauma. Long and short of it is, Jeff used to be able to afford a business class flight. He can't anymore, but I don't mind.
2: So I have no fear of flying. but
1: You have fear of flying economy?
2: Yeah, I think I need to be sedated now when we go on a long-haul flight.
1: Because you're so upset about being in, in economy. Yes. Whereas I am more normally worried about crashing.
2: <laughs> so only seven episodes of this. It feels like the type of show they will do a sequel to.
1: I don't see it. You would say to this guy...
2: The writer, you mean? George K.
1: George K. You'd go to this guy. You'd go, you know what you're doing. What else are you going to make? And he'd go, this with so-and-so.
2: Yes, of course you would. But that's not how network executives are thinking. They always want more series of things. And I can see there is a criminal world you could go further into. But you can't still be called hijack. Oh, you'll never guess what, they've hijacked another plane, and Idris Elba's on it.
1: No, but it would be another collab with him and
2: Idris, or Idris
1: in the same role. But you can't change the title. Well, listen, George, you're very talented. (laughs) It's
2: the guy who did Lupin.
1: I know, and I liked Lupin, but I thought this was like a million times better.
2: Have you watched Hijack? Did you have the same reaction as we did? Did you love it?
1: Would you like to rank the hijackers in terms of likability?
2: Can you see any way of them doing another series and still having it be called hijack? Did you love everything about it, except the stuff to do with Max Beasley on the ground and how quickly he was moving from one place to another?
1: Or did you not like it? Tell me why. Fuck off at com.
2: And coming up, we've discussed how pure he is. We've discussed how prolific he is. We've discussed how talented he is.
1: We're nuzzling his little nose again. It's Jack Thorne.
0: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry.
2: What is your relationship with sleep like? Because you work like no one else. You, you write for all... That's,
3: a- that's a lot of... There's a, I don't think that's true. But, but I've,
2: I've, I've watched videos of you saying that the thing that you think is different about you compared to other people's writing methods is that you write for these long stretches of time, up yes. to 14 hours in a day.
3: That was before I got married. Um, I wouldn't do that now, you know, used to, but but, but I was just me, you know, I didn't have any friends. So it was just me and an occasional call to my mum or my sister (laughs) and then just writing, (laughs) you know, there wasn't anything else. So it was just that it was the it was fun. This this just says to me that he's a
2: rich inner life.
3: I think I'm in a healthier place now. But there was there was a thrill to just sort of total immersion. But I also think, you know, that's how I spent my 20s.
1: Do you wish that you had done something else?
3: Sometimes. But, uh, you know, my dad has this phrase that every year has been the best year of his life.
1: That's so interesting, because I think of you as this, like, really...
3: Depressing. No,
1: I was going to say, I think of you as this really <laughs> positive person. Like, do you think that some of that non-cloying positivity comes from your dad?
3: No, my dad... Uh, I, Yeah, I, it's okay to say this. So my dad l- lost his temper slightly with... Um, so my brother-in-law is Frank Skinner, and we were on holiday together, and my dad couldn't get hold of a paper copy of The Guardian. And my dad has read The Guardian every day when he's in this country, he's read The Guardian every day since 1962. Uh-huh. Right? And Frank was quite surprised by this level of temper, because <laughs> Frank basically said, can't you just read it online? And dad turned to him like, there's something wrong with you. Um <laughs> Frank is <laughs> Frank is best friends with Adrian Charles, right? Um, who is married to Kath Viner, who is the editor of the Guardian. So Frank tells this story to Kath Viner, and Kath Viner says, "Bring him in. I want to meet him." Would your dad like a tour of the Guardian offices? And you know, and I, I of course dad did, and and we went in together, and dad's within about five minutes was telling her what was wrong, <laughs> what was wrong? <laughs> he's a one-man like, you know, focus group exactly he really was he was just like so i've got a few frustrations with how the um the guardian is is being run and he, he had this list of stuff that he was ready to and that's my dad my dad is it's a big old um bear without any honey i'm very very beater so if um, you're, if
2: you're served a plate of food which is cold in a restaurant would you say anything about it no, never. No. Jack, no, I feel like no. you
1: could be served something that was going to give you an allergy attack and you would still be like, well, I said no nuts, but I don't want to be difficult here. <laughs> well,
3: when we were on honeymoon, I'm allergic to lemons and they knew that I couldn't drink alcohol and they were serving us champagne when we first arrived and they served me a juice and the juice was full of lemons and I drank it and then I had to take a day away from the honeymoon. I didn't get to walk up Table Mountain because I, I had an allergy oh, attack. God. So, yes, I have done that, which is pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. How
0: do you, Jack, how do
2: you party?
3: What? what in what sense?
1: In a, in a is, let it was
2: loose. was like, explain this party to me. No,
1: I mean, how do you, like, if you need to let loose.
3: I was very excited about Mission Impossible coming out.
1: Uh-huh.
3: So we watched two Mission Impossibles. Sure. The last two Mission Impossibles in order to prepare. <laughs> and then we went <laughs> to a cinema... Where you can eat your dinner, and we had a chicken burger and chips, okay, and watch Mission Impossible. Great, and that was a great oh, night.
2: And that was in Mission Impossible cosplay, right?
3: Oh yeah, no, obviously, yeah, obviously. yeah, 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 yeah. I was dressed as Cruise. She was, uh, <laughs> she was, she was dressed as Benji.
2: Can I ask you about EastEnders? Because yes. I, I think we were both watching a lot of EastEnders at the end of the eighties. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I watched everything on TV and I would say the bill was just as significant to me as EastEnders and I could tell you about an episode of Hobby City where I had my heart torn out and it was one of the you know, most significant viewing experiences of my life. With EastEnders, it was just they got it right, I think. It wasn't as um fast as it is now, and it was about people just living ordinary lives. You know, that if you look at Mark Fowler Mark Fowler had HIV and the way that they explored that through the show just really really gently and and made like him him telling his mum was like an entire weeks worth of episodes sort of thing and just the the way that they handled it was just superb but i don't you know i i loved it
2: i i think i mean I'm not saying east end has changed society but i think some of the changes we've seen in society on maybe some attitudes towards race or sexuality were nudged along by EastEnders. oh yeah
3: i think so and, very much so
2: yeah but it was a very very white show at the beginning.
3: And a very, very straight show. But they did they did change that quite quickly. And yeah, they handled all that very nicely. At, what,
1: at whatever point you knew you wanted to write yourself, did you ever think about writing for them? Did you send any scripts to EastEnders?
3: Yes, yeah. And I was very, very serious about it. It was my ambition to write for EastEnders. And I had a meeting there and they said, your agent has said that you are the biggest fan. It, in fact, it wasn't even my agent. It was someone that was thinking about representing me. And they got me a meeting with EastEnders. And the first question they asked was, what was the name of Sharon's dog? And I just don't have a memory for that sort of thing. And I couldn't tell them. And then from that moment on, I was just in a spiral. And so I just messed the whole meeting up and I didn't get the job. And I never heard from the agent ever again.
2: Would you, um, if they asked you to like write a guest episode, would you do it?
3: When they found out that I was a big fan, they did ask, and I, I just said, I, I don't think I'd do a good enough job without, you know, spending six months immersing myself in it, and so I don't think I could get involved now.
1: I think the first thing of yours that I ever watched was This Is England, that you were involved in, was This Is England. and
3: The, the TV show, not the film. The TV
1: yeah. show, not the film. And... um. I was wondering what you think the secret sauce of that TV show is.
3: Shane Meadows, I think, is the secret sauce. He is an astonishing storyteller. And really, I was just there to serve him as well as I could and teach him a bit about telly because it wasn't a world that he knew. And that's why Channel 4 wanted me involved. And there is a moment at the end of This is England 86, which Shane and I worked out in a cab, which was... Uh, the most thrilling experience I can remember as a writer, where we just suddenly worked out how it was all going to work. It's the moment when um, Lol kills her dad, and then Combo decides that he'll take the blame Ugh. for it. And we worked that out before we'd written anything of the show properly. And as soon as we had that, I knew that we had something that was going to really, really work.
2: And I'm right in thinking there are conversations about doing another.
3: um basically the conversation is when Shane is ready to tell another List England story we're all ready to tell another List England story. Shane isn't I don't think quite ready to do that but occasionally he has thoughts uh, and then he'll just kind of put those in a box until they're full enough of fruits that he's ready to go again.
2: But it wasn't a tr- trilogy that is t- definitively that's, that's the end.
3: Well there was a really good end to it. It was a good end. And so you know th- there was a sense of closure that I think if you reopen that box, you do it with, with in trepidation.
1: How do you split your time in terms of uh, British versus American TV?
3: I, I don't know. We do, we watched Sixth Commandment and The Bear this week. It, it, it's just wherever's good, really. But I do think that British TV's got a lot more to it than people seem to give credit to, you know.
1: What's the difference for you between writing television versus writing a play?
3: Writing a play is a lot harder. Why? Uh, I, I understand the rhythm of TV, I think, because I watch so much of it, um, which isn't to say I get the rhythm right every time, but I understand what a Channel 4 hour feels like. And even when I'm writing a BBC hour, it's something that's sort of ingrained in my blood somewhere. Um, and whatever I'm doing, I'll, if I look at it afterwards, it, the script will roughly have that shape. Whereas with plays, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, how do I do this? And uh, And particularly if you're writing something that's quite intimate, It's really hard to find that shape, and I struggle all the time with it. That's so
2: interesting to me, because I'd have thought that the play is the thing where you have the most freedom as the writer, because nobody else is weighing in at the writing stage.
3: That's absolutely true, but I find that freedom quite difficult. Um, You're like, okay, uh, here's a big blank canvas, and I'm like, oh, what do I put on that canvas? And I get very scared and freaked out by it, and... I'm constantly going, you know, how would Lucy Pebble write this? How would James Graham write this? You know, I'm, I'm just, it, I find the freedom a little scary.
1: If you're comfortable talking about it, how do you approach the relationship between your own son and television? Because it's such an integral part of your growing up, it sounds like. But also yes. we're all like parents of kids and monitoring screen time. So how do you think about that?
3: Elliot doesn't watch a lot of TV right. which is really bizarre. Um he watches films um but but you know he'll watch probably about an hour a day but then films I've been much more curating which sounds really I don't know awful. Like you know I I've, I've got a sense of what films he's been watching when. What was the last um, what was the
2: last film you showed to him?
3: Harry Potter. We're on the Harry Potter books now so we we watched Harry Potter uh which was amazing the first Harry Potter but I, like, it was really important to me that he didn't start with Pixar. I want him to start with the slightly odder, older Disney films. So Bedknobs and Broomsticks, um, Mary Poppins, those are Elliot's favourite type of films at the moment. Chitty <laughs> Chitty bang bang oh, You see, cause we, um, we've done
2: this wrong because oh, we, tr- we try and show those films to our son and, <laughs> and they just feel too slow to him.
3: I read an article about it which, which said, once Pixar's in your blood... You can't really escape that Pixar vibe because Pixar is so good at delivering you know, when I talk about a Channel Four Hour, Pixar deliver a, a film that is just perfect is perfected what certain things should happen in certain ways. But I wanted Elliot to be interested in imperfect storytelling before he got interested in perfect storytelling because I'm a freak.
1: Oh my is, God. Is there anything
2: that you have? Because I, I really try, you know, I'm really conscious about not trying to foist stuff on Gene. Whoa, 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 No, 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 no. Whoa. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I don't do it. I'm not okay, saying I don't do it. Okay, there are two
1: very involved fathers yeah. on yeah. this call. Yeah. But every father here is foisting stuff on their kids.
3: I wanna know what Gene's taste is music is. What do you is, think he likes, that.
1: Jack? What do you think our son <laughs> likes based on Jeff being his father?
3: I think he might be quite into the Beatles.
1: Correct. And he I mean, you know, it's it's you you do foist and that's okay. Yeah, okay, okay. But you I, foist. I, I voice,
2: but here's here's what I don't do. Push if he doesn't take something. I
3: think I think that we're doing we're doing mind experiments, aren't we? That's what parenting is. And yeah, with films, I was doing a mind experiment on Elliot because I was determined that he didn't think this is the only way you can tell stories.
2: But is there anything that, you, that is, is really in your heart that you've shown to him that he's had no interest in?
3: Um, E.T. And he, e. T., he's, he he was
2: named like, he was, after <laughs> Elliot from E.T.? Yeah,
3: and he was just kind of like, yeah, no, this is nice. We were sat there, you know. I, I did it twice actually. I did it with a snowman where I was sat there basically going, Cry, 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 Cry. <laughs> and then with ET, I was going, Cry, Cry, Cry. And both times he was just kind of completely oblivious.
2: Jack, when, when you think about everything you've written for TV, what do you like the most? Because Sarah Phelps was saying to us that, you know, a writer just sees the imperfections, the things that they didn't quite fix in time. What wouldn't you turn off if you were flicking through the channels and you came across? Oh, I'd
3: turn everything off. But. If you're asking where I felt like I got it more right than wrong or less wrong than others, um, I like national treasure. Oh that's um, tremendous, yeah. I like Kiri. Yeah. And I like help. Yeah and I like best interests. Yeah. Uh, I, I I really like. And all of best those Interest. four feel
2: feel uh, like of of a piece with each other in some yeah, way. Yeah,
3: well they're all gritty, depressing, up itself stuff. And and everything I did was shame, but I sort of put that in a slightly different bracket because I watch those and uh, I can't really remember where he stops and I begin. So I don't feel quite the same sense of responsibility that I feel with stuff that's that's written by me exclusively.
2: So how many seconds? You accidentally alight on something you've written. How many seconds does it get before you... you
3: Oh, I don't flick. So I don't I, I don't flick okay, really. So okay. I don't really know. I go on Netflix and I'm going down through what they suggest for me and I see something of mine and I go, well, you've got that right a little. <laughs> do you know what I mean, like, you know, and then I'll watch to see cuz they have weird clips that they use rather than trailers. So, you know, I'll watch to see which weird clip they're using and then I'll go, well, yeah, move on to whatever else they've got.
1: What thing do you feel like you haven't cracked yet?
3: Well, I think most writers would tell you that they quite like to it in succession. Uh, and, you know, like, you know, a big show that has a big impact that lasts for a while. That's what I think we all won. Um, and uh, the reason why people think I'm so prolific is because I tell a series of four parters or one parters. Rather than, you know, eight parters that then have a second series that then have a third series. And I haven't done no, much of that. Yeah,
2: it's because you do that, and then at the same time, you've constantly <laughs> got plays on, and then you're constantly being brought in yeah, to if, if you adapt compla- or if you, work on stuff, and you're often If fix you compared my scripts. output
3: to, to Stephen Knight, right, in terms of hours of content made, it would be pitiful um and i i recognize that there are others like lucy prepple who releases something every now and again and everything she releases screams i, I wish i had her sort of perfection um uh, and i'm irritated when i get it wrong i i don't think i've quite got her you know her feel i don't know what it is but you know yeah i envy that hugely
2: um could we do some quick fire questions with you yes who has the remote you or your wife rachel
3: me, because Rachel doesn't have to work the TV.
1: Oh.
2: um, What's
1: the uncomfortable percentage on your Sky Planner?
3: I don't know what service we've got, but it doesn't really do that okay. to us. Okay. So, okay. Uh, uh, you know, I tell you that, that the thing that I do is I go through and delete everything that Sandy's put on the system because Sandy will, like, record the one show every night forever. <laughs> you know? This so- is your mother-in-law. My mother-in-law who comes and stays with us quite regularly. And so, uh, yeah, the, 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 that's what I do when we get too full. Oh, no. I, and and I you're denying really, her, her really... of her
2: babysitting binge watch of the one show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the thing from years ago that we should revisit?
3: Um, I'm looking at my, I, I collect TV scripts. Uh, I would say holding on, Tony Marchand's holding on. I think it's uh, Boys from the Black Stuff uh, level of good. I, th- I just think it's an extraordinary show and I don't think it's ever quite got the, the respect that it deserves.
2: Sarah's never seen Boys from the Black Stuff and sometimes if I try and show you particularly gritty British stuff from before a certain point in time, you, uh, you can't I make think, friends with I it. think
1: stuff happened to my brain. Like, I think that whatever it is that Jack is working to make sure doesn't happen to his son's brain is like my entire brain. <laughs>
3: Listen, listen, just watch Chrissy's story from Boys from the Black Stuff, right?
1: Chrissy's story?
3: Yeah, so it's Michelangelo's episode, right? You don't need to have watched the rest of it. And if you just watch that one, right. and then you go back and you watch the others, you will understand how great that show
2: is. I think the way Jackie's talking about Boys from the Black Stuff and what it could do to your brain is like the way that other people talk about ayahuasca retreats.
1: Yes, like it's going to be my <laughs> ayahuasca retreat. Um, Jack, before we let you go, what should we be watching at the moment?
3: I'm a Virgo, which <gasps> is really, really extraordinary.
1: Okay, this is good. You're and, not the first and, person to say that to us.
3: Yeah, uh, honestly. And it's just so interesting. And the story is really compelling. And the way that he deals with racial inequality through it is just, is just shocking and brilliant and, and uh, very, very interesting. Okay. So, yes, I'm a Virgo.
2: Jack Thorne, got a question for you. If you have never seen Jack... Do you think he is short or do you think he is tall?
1: He's extremely tall.
2: Right. I wonder if they could tell.
1: I think he feels tall.
2: I think so too. You
1: can tell he's tall.
2: Let us know if you didn't think he sounded tall. If you thought he sounded like a wee man, we'd we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, email
1: us and let us know if you just think that he sounds short. He sounds tall. He sounds tall. But not in a macho way, in a Australian way. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And our Patreon supporters will be getting about an hour or so of us chatting to Jack popping up in your Patreon within the next few days. Patreon.com, stroke they like to watch. All right, I am just strolling over to knock on the door of Mr. Inbox. Hello, are you home? Hello, I'm coming. Well, Mr. Inbox, let's take a look. Uh, uh, this lovely spread that you've laid on for us.
1: Oh, I put it on a lazy Susan, <laughs> so you can move it around with these and
2: enjoy the.
1: T- I think I'm done. I'm okay. Really gonna well,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm going to rotate. I'm going to rotate the lazy Susan towards Sarah.
1: Okay, so this first email comes from Claire Z. Claire recommended a handful of Australian shows that we should lean into. Then she writes. My red line is if there are more than 24 episodes in a series. Hard no. What even has 24 episodes in a series now? Like sitcoms?
2: Or the news. Maybe she means the news.
1: (laughs) Claire continues, I will bail out on any series as soon as I get a whiff that the writers didn't know at the start of filming – where the story arc would land by the end of the season.
2: Oh, yeah. And and I'll tell you another thing, Claire. When you get a sense that the writers really are wrapping it up in case it gets cancelled at the end of the series, but just leaving the door slightly ajar, just in case it doesn't.
1: She continues again, and story plants in episode two that are never returned to there's a place in hell for you showrunners.
2: That's another thing you hear, just how much happens in the edit and how often the people making a show don't really know what it is until it comes out the other side of the, uh, the sausage making machine.
1: As for sticking with the series because we put in the hours, no, no, no. Once burned, and then she references How I Met Your Mother, the anger one feels at sticking with a series until the end is an anger like no other. It's a rage for eternity. But she has zero regret of bailing on 24,
2: early season two and Westworld. The next one comes from Adam Bowie, who is a real life friend and former colleague of mine, who I had no idea was listening to this. Adam blogs incredibly intelligently about film and television. So I'm thinking, why why is he listening to this? But it's nice. Uh, Adam says, hi, both. You absolutely have to stick with Reservation Dogs, which is easily one of the best and most overlooked shows on TV right now. It really hits its stride in season two with an amazing episode when all the kids are sent to the Native American Reclamation and Decolonization Symposium Youth Summit. Love the word symposium. I love all of those words. But honestly, season one is really good too. Uh, this isn't one of those shows where you admit to friends that they have to plow through 10 hours of average writing before it gets good. That is something I hate having to say to people, oh, you have to stick with it.
1: We abandon shit real fast.
2: Yes, we do. Fair too fa- weather fans. Yeah, too fast, really.
1: Yeah, I just, I think that it's too much to ask for people to stick with something.
2: <laughs> Let me tell you the medium for you. TikTok. TikTok. Two seconds. No. No. Adam goes on, whilst Taika Waititi is accredited co-producer, his relationship status notwithstanding, I think the real creator is Sterling Harjo, who is Native American himself. Indeed, incredibly, this is the... F- first US TV series to have an entirely indigenous set of writers and directors and they also actually filmed it in Oklahoma rather than the usual way that US series shoot wherever is the easiest or hands out the biggest tax breaks and, and then doubles for the putative location. I'll tell you something that is a pet hate of mine. Go on. When you see a city pretending to be a different city.
1: Can you think of another example when that's so obvious?
2: I feel like I see it quite a lot on British stuff. Like uh, Doctor Who famously is filmed in Cardiff, but they'll have quite a lot of episodes or parts of episodes set in London. And you can just see it at some shopping precinct in Cardiff or wherever.
1: I am not that observant with these things, or maybe I'm allowing myself to get lost in the story.
2: Mm. You find it easier to suspend your disbelief.
1: Yeah, or I'll think maybe I'm less arrogant than you. all think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know every corner of London. Maybe that is London and not Cardiff. No,
2: but don't you just see a bus and think, they have those buses in London, those little shopper buses. It's always a shopper bus that ruins it I for me. I have
1: no idea what a shopper bus is. It's
2: like a bus that goes from a estate on a provincial town into the town centre the shopping precinct. And it's got six pensioners and no one else on Why
1: it. Why are you so angry about shopping houses? <laughs> You're like you have Thank like there's real animosity pouring out. Yeah,
2: when I was a kid, they used to be called the happy shopper.
1: That sounds sweet. What's your problem? I don't know. Oh, this has really stoked something in you. It really has, this. yeah. People are seeing something. They're seeing the they're seeing the angry, they're seeing your angry side. You never show it. <laughs> you guys, I fucking get this all day and all night. This is the tip of the iceberg, the rage. All right. Thank you, Adam. Our last email is from Dan Barrow, who writes, Hi, FNN. This is my most hated TV trope. When a character in a movie or show steps up to a microphone to speak, especially if they are nervous or incompetent, there is a short burst of squeaky feedback, possibly accompanied by a cough in the background from an audience member to underpin the tension. This is not how microphones work, (laughs) nor feedback for that matter. Dan must work in the field. It just needs to stop.
2: Okay, let's have some more of those TV tropes that you think there should be a moratorium on. Also, your TV red flags. And this week, we've thrown into the mix things from real life that you never see on screen. Belching being one of them. Um, What can take you out of the moment? What else did we say? Oh, the longest it's taken you to click with a show.
1: And of course, if any of you start watching Hijack... Rank the likability of those hijackers for me.
2: And your recommendations too, please. Is there a show that you think we should be watching? Is there a show that you think we've got wrong that we need to have a second look at? And thank you this week to you. If you did send in a recommendation, lots of people did, including Sophie Rogers, who thought a Twin Peaks rewatch could be the thing. Mm. Uh, Beck? who recommended Fisk. I think a couple of people recommended Fisk, which is an offbeat Australian comedy. Um, Jane who suggested Slow Horses on Apple TV which I hear loads of good things about but I'm put off by the title even though I know it isn't about Slow Horses Oh, even though I know it's about spies and it's supposed to be good and clever and funny um, Jane also recommended Platonic and on the subject of kids shows that adults can watch without feeling creepy Kat Alexander recommended another Australian show Round the Twist the email address is
1: fuck off at firecratchandnormcourt.com
2: So here's what everyone liked to watch this week. And I just want to say, because we're on holiday, it's quite hard to Google which platform things are on. Oh, shit, Because it's giving me where I can watch it in Sweden. So I've tried my best, but this might be slightly inaccurate. If it is, I will correct it on the Patreon. Sarah liked to watch The Jinx, which is on Amazon Prime. I like to watch How To with John Wilson, which is on HBO. And I think we'll surface on BBC Two in the UK. That's where they showed the last series. We like to watch Hijack on Apple TV. Jack Thorne like to watch Boys from the Black Stuff, which I think you can see on BritBox and Amazon Prime, and probably you can buy it on iTunes or Apple or whatever they call it these days. And Jack liked to watch I'm a Virgo on Prime Video.
1: Well, everyone... Hey, hey. That's how you say hi in Swedish.
2: But we're going, so we should be saying hey, door.
1: Hey, door. If you're on holiday, I hope your family isn't making you want to die. If you're getting some time to yourself. like doing nice things with the family. <laughs> <laughs> I hope if you're staying with an Airbnb, you've been able to work out the recycling situation. <laughs> it was a fucking nightmare for me. Ugh. I hope you didn't overbuy food that you're going to end up throwing out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't buy your child some kind of fucking souvenir that now you've got to pack you know, like, you don't have room for this we didn't get bitten by mosquitoes hope your hair is responding well to the humidity have a great summer hauls
0: bye bye why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim